The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins a national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. Oh, Ty was a warrior. The Hawks are going to Omaha. Trackouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. It's more democratic. Borderline erotic. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Eric Musselman was a late addition, but an obvious addition after just being announced as the head coach on Monday. And uh, it's interesting because we, we, Ty and I talked about this, uh, I think, on, on Monday about how you've got to be able to call the hogs in a proper manner. And really, I mean, it looks like he, like, like, like the Musselman family did just that by Googling head coach Chad Morris and then ends up uh, riding in on a hog yesterday, right on top of the Tuskmobile, I think is, is what it's called, inside the arena with no teams. And you now put... Boy, I mean, things change rapidly on a college campus when it comes to athletics, but now in the course of just two years, uh, new football coach, new basketball coach, and, uh, and, and there they are together, and seemingly kind of already building what seems like a public relationship between the two of them. It's been uh, talked about uh, by the Musselman family about how they, you know, look to uh, Chad Morris, uh, in a in a sense, even years ago, I mean, Eric Musselman talking about his, uh, his checking out some of the, the the quotations that he was putting out about uh, Coach Morris just a few years ago. It was it's almost like they were meant to be together, and and there they were yesterday up on the hog. So it, you you pose an interesting question here, Ty, because I think sometimes and and the question is, can Arkansas be successful in football and basketball at the same time? And and that's happened before. It hasn't happened. Really, I guess in the last what would you say, eighteen years at the same time, the basketball team and the football team both had successful years, uh, but it definitely happened a lot in the nineteen nineties, and I don't see any reason why it can't. I wonder. You're, you're asking the question just, I think, just to pose a topic to get some back and forth going too. But I also think that there might be some in the Arkansas fan base who have that snake bitten feel that 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 feel like it'd be difficult to win at football and win at basketball at the same time. And then when you look at the examples provided to you by the rest of the Southeastern Conference, maybe it's true. Maybe it is true. You're sort of flip-flopped in the teams across this conference that are good at basketball and, and good at football. And and things are changing now uh, in the last couple of years, uh, certainly in basketball sense. I mean, Auburn has been one of the stronger uh, football schools and just made their first run to the Final Four. Uh, you see, you saw Mississippi State rise under Dan Mullen, uh, hold for a minute last year, and 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 they've built themselves a decent basketball program too. Arkansas, obviously rebuilding both of them right now. Although it's 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 more he- don't you think it's more heavy of a rebuild for football than it is for basketball? And you can make a quicker turnaround in basketball. Uh, but uh, to, to be on, I don't see any reason why you can't win in basketball and football at the same time, not just at Arkansas, but, but anywhere else. When, when you talk about the idea of the recruiting bases that you've got, when you've got the facilities that you have across the conference, when you know that virtually any game you play in, in, in basketball or football is going to be, is going to be televised, uh, you're going to be marketed to pro scouts uh, if you have that sort of talent. There's no reason why you can't succeed in both of those sports. But then again, you don't really have an example in front of you to prove otherwise right now in this conference. And I think it's hard to measure the level of success that you are saying that both programs want to achieve at the same time. And I went back a little bit in the Arkansas history books and was glancing at the years where Arkansas football was on a high note and then Arkansas basketball achieved a great deal of whatever it may be. And most of the time, Phil, when one of the programs was at an all-time high, the other program was either average or slightly below average. And when I kind of went to the years that stood out to me, basically since I've been born, you think about the 94 National Championship in basketball, the 93 football team goes 5-5-1. and one. The next year when Arkansas got to the championship again in basketball, team, in basketball the 94 team went 4-7. and seven. Then we'll flip-flop it. The 98 team goes to the SEC championship in football. The basketball team just, they lost the round of 32. Now that's really 
Now, a lot of Arkansas fans would have taken that this year, getting to the round eight thirty two and losing. So it just it, it depends on when you quantify success. But if you go down, especially since I've been alive, I don't I I can't go back to the sixties in my head, but just out of memory and then having to look it up, if you go to some of the better years in the history of the Arkansas football and the Arkansas basketball programs, typically, not always, but typically the other program is not as good as it had been in years past or years in the future, which is just interesting. And it will be easier to easier isn't the right term. It, it, it'll it'll be it'll be easier, perhaps, is the right way to put it to, to to turn things around with a new coach in basketball than it is in football. the The cupboard wasn't really, isn't really bare. A hundred percent for for Eric Musselman. The the cupboard certainly seemed to be bare in Chad Morris's first year, and the expectations in year two when you look at the schedule that's in front of you, really should be at least six wins. But but six wins is also akin to making it to the NIT, you know, because at that point you might be playing in the Liberty Bowl or the Music City or the I Bowl, but it is a step forward. The what bowl? The, the I Bowl? The, the I Bowl, the Independence Bowl. You know which one I'm getting at. The one that's in Shreveport, or as I've heard them call it before, in Shreveport, Shrevesburgerville. It's been a while since I was there. You know, if you if the, if that's where you're playing this next season, uh, at the end of the year in December, then it's been a successful year. If that's where Arkansas basketball is right now, already in the NIT, um, and I would think, realistically, we could have the same sort of expectations depending on what you get coming back. That and, and, and what Eric Musselman recruits to Arkansas this first year, that, well, in his estimation, that's an NCAA tournament team right now. Let's let's hold the phone on that before we see it again. That that to me, saying that this team has more talent than the team that went to the Sweet Sixteen when he was at Nevada, I think that's more coach speak than anything. You know how coaches embellish and exaggerate about their players and their staff a lot of times, just so there isn't criticisms of that. And he's initially calling out. I think if you heard, I think if you heard between closed doors what he would say to his coaches or to family members he trust. I, I think we'd hear a different story. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he actually believes that this team has more talent. In that case, if that's true, I just I, I can't fall in line with that, Phil. Well, let's look at some of the other schools in the SEC. Who else is successful in, in both basketball and football? Now, most of these schools, we still look at baseball as 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 one of the three major sports, but it's it sort of set itself apart as far as consistent winning programs. In football, you've had the dominant program, Alabama, for a very long time. Auburn's popped up a couple of times. Georgia's reared its head, come close a couple of times. But it's Alabama, and that's uncontested. In basketball, although Kentucky was knocked off of uh, the mountain this last year, uh, they still are seemingly at the top of the mountain, although there are more teams near the top of that mountain with them. But, I mean, those teams right now, Auburn is Auburn on the way down in football as they are on the way up it's a good in basketball? Yeah. You know, Tennessee on the way up in basketball. Where are they going to be in year two, you know, under, under Coach Pruitt in football? Kentucky, can they sustain what they did this last season without Benny Snell returning? And Josh Allen, he's gone too. And that's their stalwart defensive guy. So yeah, I mean that's a great question to ask, and there's just when you think about yes, you just automatically assume yeah you can win it both, and then you actually go down the pecking order. Not only the SEC, just, it's, and it's not there, but there's just not a lot of examples where programs are successful in both football and basketball in the same time period. I think the one in the SEC you could point to probably is Florida, although they haven't had that national championship success or really even close to that sort of success in the last seven, eight years. In either sport, really. Right, but they've been good, consistently good enough. Correct. Billy Donovan. To where you can say that they've got things going in the right direction. I mean, an NCAA tournament team, again, uh, I forget how many wins they had this year under Dan Mullen, but it was a good season for Florida football. Um, That's probably the one school that, stands out from success in both sports at this time. Yeah. You have other examples from around the country right now. It's just the other the other 13 in the SEC, unless we're missing something, 
that's the one. If you're looking at consistent success, can LSU, you know, keep their success level of basketball from this last year, from what's about to happen to that program when Will Wade doesn't return? You know, Texas A&M. We keep hearing it's a sleeping giant in every sport, but you know what? Texas A&M is is still sort of asleep as far as the ability to maintain a level of success. Georgia football is in a really good place. Georgia basketball is in a, a year two of a total rebuild under Tom Crean. So again, you can Missouri. There's another example. Who knows? South Carolina. You can't point to you know great success in either program. Arkansas the same way. Ole Miss the same way. Mississippi State the same way. The other thirteen, other than Florida, there's just there's wavering degrees of failure and success. So I would say that there's a few that you could say outside of the SEC. I think Michigan's one of them. John Beeline, Harbaugh. There's been a few other high points during Michigan football. Well, Beeline's been there. That's been good. Michigan's probably one. Ohio State. This is not as as close as Michigan because think about Ohio State where you had Urban Meyer and Jim Trestle coaching the football teams and you also had Thad Mata who at one point they got to a national championship in 2007. The success rate in both sports there has been pretty good and it seems like they're around the same time. Sparty, laying a couple Big Ten schools, Michigan State under Mark D'Antonio and Tom Izzo, there's been high rates of success there in the same years. Think about Oregon. I know there's been some coaching transition when you go from Chip Kelly to Mark Helfrich, and now um, the former Florida State coach that's escaping. Actually, it wasn't Florida State. I'm I'm blanking on who's their coach now. But the there's a couple others. Notre Dame's one that you could say. I know Bray and them didn't go to the NCAA tournament this year, but they've had some good years in both football and basketball. Louisville has had some successful years in both sports um, when Patino and Petrino were there. Yeah, although things are a little shaky these days. A little shaky, arguably the slimiest duo in the history of collegiate sports and having the same basketball and football coach. I don't know if there's a more slimy duo there. Oklahoma had success under Bob Stoots. You had Long Kruger take his team to a Final Four with Buddy Heald. Then you think about Wisconsin, who's had success. You had uh, Ryan and then now Greg Gard, who hadn't had success there, but they had success under Bielema. They've also had success under Paul Christ. And then last one, which kind of stuck out to me, but it's right, it's Baylor. Scott Drew's consistently had his team in the NCAA tournament. Now, they've only, I think, made one Elite Eight. is the only time they made the Elite Eight. But then Art Bryles, back in that era, they were kicking in football. They had a pretty solid again, football it's team. A whole other, that's a whole other situation. Now. Yeah, a whole other situation. And those, I mean, those are the schools that I listed, and that's just not a long list, Phil. And of those schools, I think, Florida was, yeah, Florida's the only SEC school that I think you could say at the same relevant times were the football program and basketball program. And by the way, think about this, Phil. Imagine being a student or a Florida Gators fan in 2006 when your team goes on behind Chris Leak and a freshman named Tim Tebow to win the national championship. And then a few months later, Joakim Noah, Al Horford, Lee Humphrey, Torian Green, and Corey Brewer, they win a national championship. And oh, by the way, they repeated the next year. That era of Florida athletics, I don't know if I could find a better sports peak in my lifetime than that era of Florida athletics. I would agree. And, and but, but all right, so let, let's get let's get the conversation back to Arkansas. And can you have a winning football team and a winning basketball team at the same time? It's, it's this is this gets into a, another topic that we've gotten into quite a bit. It's just, it's really difficult to win in the SEC West when you're Arkansas and, and, and you play in the same division as a self-sustaining Alabama program that it just sets itself apart from everybody else in the SEC from LSU that has a wider recruiting base uh, from Auburn, you know, although maybe that's a, that's a place where you could, potentially catch up but that sound and, and texas a&m it's just it will be much more difficult to maintain that level of success in football than it would in basketball just out of the pure numbers alone of the number of players it takes to staff the football team to have everybody that you need there in and, and and for basketball you need a deep bench but it's just much it's much more different when you you're talking about a deep team that's got a rotation of 9 or 10 and you got to have 22 guys ready to go 
on your first team and you need a good second team in, in, in the SEC West. It just, I, I would like to say, yes, you can maintain a level of success in both programs, but unless you catch, you know, uh, uh, unless you get the diamond in the rough, unless, unless you keep, you get this, these amazing lines of recruiting, because the whole story about the recruiting right now for Arkansas is it's the best that it's been at Arkansas since the recruiting services ever started ranking players, but it's still in the mid to latter stages of what the rest of the SEC is doing recruiting wise. Yeah. It just seems like it's so much more difficult to maintain that success in football. You're right. And I don't really have any arguments to go against that because with the SEC, especially now the one caveat I would say that if Nick Saban leaves in the next few years, I think that opens up the floodgates a little bit. Now Kirby Smart at Georgia could step in and kind of assume that role but I don't know if that's going to happen. So maybe, maybe that could happen. But if you think about it this way, you have two guys that weren't the initial first targets of this program. Chad Morris was second, only behind Gus Malzahn. I don't know exactly where Eric Musselman was, if they thought they had a realistic chance to go after Chris Beard. Well, we it's, know he was 1 of 5. At yeah. least, first he was 1 of 12 and 1 of 5. Yeah, so he was not, I don't believe, the first choice that the Arkansas Athletic Administration and Hunter Yurchek were sawing after. So that being said, you have two guys that are both entering their fifth year as college head coaches. Musselman, four years in Nevada, now his fifth year at Arkansas. Chad Morris, three years at SMU, one year at Arkansas, and now he's entering his second year with the program. So they're kind of lined up track. Now I know Musselman did more pro stuff than Chad Morris did. OC at Clemson, doing a lot of Texas high school football. But in a way, they're kind of similar. They're trying to prove themselves not only to the rest of the college football and college basketball world, but particularly this fan base. And they're going to go about it in similar ways with social media, harping on, hitting on recruits, getting high-talented recruits in there. We had Danny West on, and he mentioned that he's never seen the level of talent from a football standpoint. The recruits come on campus like he has in this first basically year and a half to two years under Chad Boris. That should stand out to people listening right now. The fact, you might not get all these kids, but at least you're getting them on campus. And that's going to be interesting to see if Chad Morris can continue to do that and if Eric Musselman can start to establish himself almost in the same way by getting kids on campus. Well, let's play the audio that you've got uh, from uh, from Eric Musselman about where they uh, they Googled uh, some information on, on Coach Morris, specifically the idea of getting up to his standards. So Ryan, my daughter, Michael, and Matthew, like they watch Coach Morris's, you know, call. And so because of that, you know, they, they were well prepared. I mean, we didn't Google fans. We, we Googled Coach Morris and wanted to try to get up to his standards. And I know you mentioned to start out the show, Phil, how he's tweeted quotes about what Chad Morris has said, and it seems like he really likes some of his philosophies. I can't remember a time in Arkansas sports where you just had a the relationship between the head basketball coach and the head football coach was like incredible. And I don't know if it's going to turn out that way, but wouldn't that be cool? And I don't know how much it would affect winning across the board with Arkansas sports, but I, I think that would be cool for the basketball program and the football program, especially the two head coaches of these programs, to have a really good relationship. I just think that would translate to success. Maybe I'm wrong, but it would seem like you see the hashtag that Hunter Yurchek has kind of put out there, one Razorback. It looks like these coaches, and again, this is the outsets, the early onset of Eric Musselman coming in, it looks like they're trying to establish a friendship early on that could be beneficial down the road. Well, they'll, I'll bet you they'll be really good friends if both teams are winning a lot of games. Yep, you're, you're, you're right about that one. Nothing engenders happiness on a college athletic campus than, than winning a lot of ball games, especially if one of them is your football team and the other is your men's basketball team. That will get some, some warm fuzzies going back and forth uh, from, uh, from, from Reynolds Razorback Stadium to Bud Walton Arena. And then, and then you got the team that, that keeps on winning, which is baseball. And, and they're the team that's actually playing right now. A big series coming up this weekend against the Vanderbilt Commodores, uh, which I get to return to the first place I ever called an SEC versus SEC game. Uh, we'll be dodging raindrops the entire time, I'm sure, because it's supposed to rain late Friday night, uh, most of Saturday, and a good chunk of Sunday. So I don't know. 
we, hey, why not do another doubleheader, right? We, we've are, let's just keep that one to just two nine-inning games instead of one that goes 15. Yeah, I hope you don't have to do eight or nine straight hours of radio like you had to do last week. I, I, I want you to be the one, the one good thing about that, Phil, if you get a rain out on Friday night, I know you, you might take advantage of being having a little extra free time on Friday to explore the Music City. That would be the one good thing that comes out of that. Now, in order for that to happen, you've got to have a certain kind of of, of rain out. It's it's a a quick bang, you know, bang it. Let's let it's just like car, who 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 were you talking to about this last week? About was it Blaine? It was Blaine. Yeah, and it was Eric, Blaine, it was Blaine and Knight Cole. and Eric Cole. Yeah, favorite baseball terminology is 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 just bang it, meaning get meaning cancel this game. Let's get it over with. But in order for that to happen, in order to really be able to have some time to go explore the Music City, as you put it, in the rain. We got to have a quick bang, which means, hey, you look at the radar and you're like, why are we forcing everybody to show up here? Let's just let's just bang this thing three hours before they even show up. Three more and hours. Then for you, you can to- plant. <laughs> that's right. Three more hours for for me and the lovely lady to go enjoy whatever, whatever, whatever Bill King would not do in Nashville. I just I found it so funny talking to Bill yesterday how he's he's a Nashville guy, but he won't go anywhere near downtown. And he basically told me to just. Stay in the hotel and, and go to the ballpark. Forget about everything you hear about Nashville. Get off my lawn. He would only come into town when we had remotes twice a month, and outside of that, he just stayed in his suburban outer uh, Wilco. That's it. And it's and it's funny, and I get that. Like he's not he's not young anymore. He's fifty plus years old. So the nightlife and the, the extravaganza that comes with Nashville, with the pedal taverns and all the celebrity stuff, that doesn't appeal to him like it would have twenty, thirty years ago. Which I understand. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Phil Elson PXP and at Ty Sports Radio. And it's Joe Adams with a hurdle. Great speed. Adams down the sideline. He's gone. 92 yards for a touchdown. That's what we usually do on a Thursday at this point. We've got the millennial. We've got the XY or whatever it is I am. And so we teach each other what's going on when we were kids, and so it's time for halftime homework. Oh, I'm in. I don't trust this kid any further than I can throw him. I got a question. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Get out of my class. Out, get out. I was still thinking of going back to school. I do my homework now. The millennial versus the middle-aged. It's time for halftime homework. So you you assigned me a really good movie. This was fun to watch. It's I knew called, you were gonna. What I tell you? What I tell you, you before it. I signed it? You knew it. It's called Everybody Wants Some, and it's it's almost like a a a sequel in a sense to Dazed and Confused. Richard Linklater is the director, and he also directed Dazed and Confused, which is one of your favorite movies. Now, of course, that the Dazed and Confused took place, and and these are all looks back. You know, look, look back on on what on what youth was like in the 70s or the 80s. Uh, Days and Confused takes place 1976. High school football players and stoners and, and partiers. Uh, and, and, and this one, it takes place in 1980. And instead of focusing on football players, they're focusing on baseball players, although you really don't see them play much baseball at all. There's one scene where they play baseball, and that's it. Uh, and, and it's their college players that are that are gathered together to live under the same roof um and i i was entertained by this movie just, it had and I, I it's probably one of those movies that i need to watch again i watched it this morning um while i was getting some prep done for the show and prep done for the vanderbilt series so i i had both eyes on the movie but it's i i feel like it's probably a movie that i will be entertained by even more so if i'm sitting there not doing anything else I just don't have much of those times to, 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 to not have anything else to do, so you kind of mix these things together. But um, there was some baseball truth to it, the rivalry between pitchers and position players. Uh, you, you feel that tension between them. Also, the idea that you get, you get these completely different sort of personalities on the same team, but generally, even if they don't really, if if not everybody gets along, they'll still back everybody up as an equal as a teammate, no matter what. And that's a baseball thing too. Uh, they're chasing girls all throughout the movie, which just it, that that felt like days and confused. Um, you're seeing 
you're seeing a guy who uh, who's playing a college student who's really 30 years old because he still wants to pitch and he wants to live the hype the uh, and wants to live that uh, that lifestyle you do have uh you do have some interesting scenes um, there, you know, the, there's a mud wrestling scene thrown in there. There's a there's a bar fight, which is like a typical baseball fight, where these guys are just basically holding each other by the shoulders and the neck and threatening to punch each other, but not punching each other in a bar. So it was like a baseball fight from a field moved to a bar. Uh, anyway, I mean, this was an entertaining movie. It was a good assignment. You kn- you knew I was going to like it because I liked I love Days and Confuse. And I'm a baseball guy, and so these things go together. I will say, on first glance of this movie, it's not dazed and confused. It's not at that level. It's not that entertaining. It's not that funny. There are some really interesting characters, but not like the characters you saw from Days and Confused. Uh, the female characters aren't quite as developed as they are in Dazed and Confused 2, but it's got that same nostalgic look back on... <laughs> In a sense, kind of like meatheads. Although the the main character, the main kid in this in this movie, is not a meathead pitcher. He's just a pitcher with a brain. Uh, anyway, it was a good assignment, and I enjoyed it. And I, I feel like I need to watch it another two or three times, and 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 really get into the weeds with it. It's like listening to an album that, at first glance, like this sounds like it could be good, but it's probably better if I listen to it two or three more times. I think I'd feel the same way about Everybody Wants Some. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's not to the level of Dazed and Confused that you mentioned, but it's also from my generation, so you could just assume it's not going to be. You just got to, when you watch a movie like that, you got to assume the older one's better. That's most of the time I do when I watch a remake of a film. But I enjoyed it. And again, it's funny how many baseball movies I like, even though baseball's not my favorite sport, but I thought it was pretty good. So... Your assignment to me was Family Ties and Golden Girls, which I watched We went with some 1980s sitcom television that's correct family ties is rock solid if not for new girl season seven coming out yesterday i would have watched more family ties and i actually only limited myself to one episode of new girl because i'm trying this new thing where i don't get sucked into a netflix show or tv or movies for that matter boy you sound like i mean you you sound like an addict i can be when there's a certain show that comes out that I'm addicted to or something. That's why I'm very skeptical of getting into Game of Thrones because based on everyone I've talked to, once you start the first couple episodes, you're hooked. It's so funny. You're, I mean, the way you're looking at this, you're like, I don't want to watch this because I'm afraid I might actually love it I to know. where I can't turn the thing off. Well, the good thing is... You're not like this with pizza and wings, by the way. No, not at all. I had pizza at 545 this morning, by the way. That's well done. Was uh, it still cold? I warmed up in the microwave here at the uh, station. Oh, so it's not quite at the... Yeah, I expect more of you. Okay. So, the re- and that's the reason I do that, because I feel like that's something. The good thing about it is, this I know is the busy time for you with baseball, with the SC tournament coming up, with the College World Series potentially coming up. This is a, a downtime for me, because once football heats up, I won't have time for anything and basketball it's not as in-depth as football but I, my time is not as much so this would actually be a good time for me to get invested in game of thrones or family ties for that matter because i actually really enjoyed it first of all i love michael j fox you've made the reference yeah. that i love back to the future movies which couldn't be more on point those movies are fantastic i, I just love the drama christopher lloyd is also phenomenal in those as well his parents are so chill in that they're obviously and they're, and they're former they're former hippie radicals from the nineteen sixties and seventies, but they're not just chill, they're they're almost to the point of boring. Yeah. But their lo- the, the the fact that they were so in love with each other was also very central to the story of family ties. But I mean there really wasn't anything quite like Alex P. Keaton when it came time to be a star in the nineteen eighties. Alex P. Keaton, who is that? The mom? That's or Michael J. Fox. Okay. Oh, okay. That's who that is. Sorry, that shows you how that I'm only one episode deep that I don't know the main character's name. But it's funny because he's obviously the the staunch conservative. They're the the wild liberals, and those ideas even in the first episode clash. Uh, but it it was good, and I really enjoyed it. And I honestly might watch it. Now I will say this: the second episode. Now this has come up a few times where we assign something. Uh, to each other and the other I was not a fan of Golden Girls man I couldn't even get through the first 10 minutes I'm sorry I don't want you to tear up because I know that's nostalgic for you Betty White seems like the ditzy clueless one in that show which she is and played to a T and to me family ties there's certain things that we always talk about that hold up well whether it's movies whether it's certain food like certain things from 
your generation or a couple generations before you can still hold up today. I didn't feel like that show could hold up today. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's just not my thing. And I honestly thought I was going to enjoy it. And maybe the pilot's just kind of boring. But I was I couldn't get through ten minutes of it. I'm sorry. I really don't. Now, how did you watch? Did you watch it on uh, on the Hallmark Channel? Because we had one of our listeners uh, let us know uh, last week that because I thought you'd have to. Watch, you asked for my Amazon Prime. Uh, subscription, which I forgot to give you, by the way, that's okay. forgot to give you the password. That's a that's a that's a friend fail right there. Uh, but she did let us know that the Hallmark Channel runs. I uh, see the Hallmark Channel to me would seem like it would run Golden Girls five hours a day. Yeah, and and be able to get away with it. Is that where you watched it? I watched it on YouTube. <laughs> okay, so, so you went you went the newfangled route. You yeah. went with, and you didn't have to pay for it either, did nope. you? Nope. Nope. Okay, so you didn't like Rose. You know, Rue McClanahan, B. Arthur, it's all right. It's not for everybody. You're right. It, maybe it's more of an acquired taste. I, but that's a show that eventually will get remade. That's true. And I genuinely thought, based on what you told me about the plot and how other people told me it's a funny show, that I would like it. But I just didn't. And again, maybe it's the wrong episode. Sometimes the pilots of episodes of TV series over the years are quite boring. They don't really get into the nitty and gritty or the funny or the action, whatever it may be, whatever the show's genre but I just wasn't a fan of it. So, and I, well, that, I and I'm always going to be honest with you about this. If I like something, I'm going to tell you I really like it. If I don't, I'm going to be honest with you because I'd you rather I'd like you to keep. Fe- you hurt my feeling. Uh, I'm just I'm going to end this I'm segment sorry. right now and just go into the bathroom and cry. <laughs> cry for a, a little moment. bit. Okay. I can I, I I can't handle this. I can't handle it. No, you know what you should be handling this uh, this next week though. Um, we we talked about this last Friday where it was the 25th anniversary of the day that Kurt Cobain killed himself uh, which really was a seminal moment for music in the 90s because Cobain uh, was was a singular sort of personality that you could hear the sadness in his voice and I don't know how much Nirvana you've listened to You, you obviously know this song I'm saying obviously and I'm I'm hoping you know this song So this is smells like teen spirit. Have you heard this? Yes. Okay. This this is this is one of the this is on the short list of great rock songs of the 1990s and really as far as I'm concerned of all time. And this is the first track on Nirvana's uh, Nevermind album, which came out in 1991. It's the second album that they did, and MTV Unplugged, I think, came after that. I mean, really, some great hits on this album: "Come as You Are," "Lithium." Uh, Stay Away, Polly, it's it's awesome. This is a fantastic album, and it really set the tone for music in in the 1990s. So, it's called Nevermind is the name of the album, and you you should be you know this song, right? It's I mean it's in like movies, video games. It's walk up music for batters. Yeah. Yeah. But but what this what uh, this also was part of like you know grunge music was a thing in the '90s. It was a big big deal. Now elaborate we, on that. What's grunge music? Grunge music is like you hear there. It's like it's like dirty rock and roll that's kind of sifted with sadness and gloom. And I don't know why we why I didn't feel unhappy as a kid, but apparently most of us did. And this music fed the soul. Uh, but but there, I can't think of another city that is more closely associated with music other than Nashville and country music, like like Seattle is with with grunge music. You know, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, uh, and and Nirvana all came from Seattle, and and the movie singles kind of encapsulates all of this together. You love the rom coms. You've 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 been open about this from the start. This is kind of like a he's not that into you from 1992 you with an ensemble an ensemble cast. These aren't quite the big names that that we saw in in he's just not that into you. But I just wanted to play like the first minute of the trailer from singles for you because I think this this will like sell the movie for you who loves romantic comedy so give me one minute and and this is the opening of the trailer from singles again it's from 1992 love is a game you distinguish yourself by not calling 
four days, he needs to call me. Easy to start. It's a very nice hat you're wearing, and I don't mean that in an Eddie Haskell kind of way. Hard to finish. Linda. Bye, Steve. I left my blue t-shirt at If you can't find love, you settle for sex. I'm on the bed right now. Something really outrageous. I think you got the wrong number, lady, but I'll be right over. In the absence of sex, you go for companionship. Uh, you want to get some dinner? Uh, how about some lunch? Have a lunch. Coffee? Water? How about some water? Soon you're just happy to have a friend. You know, in a parallel universe, we're probably a scorching couple. But in this one, neighbors. Of course, you can't sleep with friends. Singles. So I think you'll love this movie. And it, it stars Bridget Fonda, Matt Dillon. Uh, let me pull up my page here that I was reading. Uh, uh, the, the names of Kira Sedgwick, Campbell Scott. Uh, there's this, there's a there's a, an appearance by Jeremy Piven before any before he, oh. he really anybody even really knew who he was. Big. He plays a clerk in a store. Uh, Tom Skerritt's in it. It's it, it's got a great soundtrack. There's a there's a there's an appearance by Pearl Jam in the movie before they were even Pearl Jam. This is when I think they were still part of Temple of the Dog, um, and and it's it's just it's a fun movie. It encapsulates a lot of what I think dating felt like in the 1990s with the music that went along with it, and it should be right down your alley if you like rom-coms. I'll give it a whirl either this weekend or next week. Can't wait. I think you're starting to kind of feel me out a little bit and figure out what I like. So I got two questions. For, have you seen Superbad? This is, I feel yes. like, okay, you have. Have you yes. seen Accepted? No, I have not seen okay, Accepted. So you're going to watch that. So tell me about Accepted. So Accepted is, and you're you're either going to, again, this is going to, I knew you'd love Everybody Wants Some. So I you're knew telling me I could actually hate Accepted. I think I think you'll like it. It's a guy, it's about a character named Bartleby Gangs who doesn't get accepted to any college because he screwed around in high school. And so he develops this idea that he's going to create his own college. And he does that. The love interest in his life happens to be the beautiful Blake Lively, who is named Monica Moreland in the in the movie. And she is just very captivating. Jonah Hill, big Jonah Hill, is in this movie. He's really Hefty funny. Hefty Jonah. Hefty Jonah Hill. There's a couple other uh, characters, actresses and actors that are in it as well that make it really funny. But it's just a solid movie. This kid basically creates his own college based off some funding he gets from other prospective students and his parents. So it's a funny movie. I, I think you'll like it. I think you'll I think you'll like it. So. Okay, so let's repeat let's repeat our, our assignments here so that okay. we know exactly what's going home so mom and dad can help with uh, us with our homework. Uh, you are going to be watching the movie Singles. Singles. And look, I put three ninety nine into the piggy bank and rented Everybody Wants Some because I couldn't find it on a streaming service for free. So if you got to poke down three bucks, I'll give you three bucks the next time I'm in studio with because you got to see singles. And you're going to watch, you're going to listen to the entire album, uh, Nevermind by Nirvana. I got it. And then for you, I'm not giving you a music assignment because I just feel like we have different taste in music and there's just no point you can you. drop one on me you know, i'm gonna be in the car for five hours today i might i may need a little bad music to keep me going. <laughs> okay that, that's just depressing all right so i guess i mean thomas red is the country artist i've been listening to right now i just feel like he's he's gonna be so off your radar and i am going to nashville who's this country artist i'm gonna write this down i'm gonna give it okay. a shot thomas Rhett. that's thomas Rhett. he just won the uh mail. is that Rhett with an h R yeah R H E T T Thomas Rhett he right. lives in Nashville he is uh, married to his high school sweetheart and he's it's kind of country popish in a way so that's why I think you won't like it um, lovely lady hates country music especially that sort of country music yeah. so I may, I may I may just have to worry about that at some point next week because you don't want it you don't want somebody sitting next to you that hates the music that's playing yeah I don't I, I this might be an assignment you wait till early next week before we get on the next show. So yeah, Thomas Rhett, and then you need to watch the movie Accept It. And I think, I'm not so sure about Thomas Rhett. I know I'll I'll enjoy Nirvana to a certain extent because I used to play Guitar Hero, and those were some of the iconic songs that we would play when I was in middle school and early high school. So it's kind of reminiscent to that point. Subscribe to Hit That Line on iTunes. You're listening to the Halftime Pod. Swung on up the middle for a base hit. And you can't put this one to bed. The Razorbacks come back and walk on. 
Uh, Connor, thanks for coming on with us again. And it is, uh, I guess, you know, you kind of got you got baseball season really getting into full swing. Spring season in football coming to the end. It's already done at Arkansas with an early spring game. And hiring season in college basketball is also in full swing. So there's a lot going on in the SEC these days, right? Yeah, and I mean, Masters Week, that's pretty much, you know, like what what's like 12 golfers from the SEC. So, yeah, you throw that in there, it's still a relatively busy time, I'd say. And and I didn't even realize that about all of the uh, about all of the golfers from the SEC. There is is SEC golf quite on uh, on par with football and and with baseball too. Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't go that far just yet, but you know, I think last year uh, Patrick Reed, um, the former Georgia golfer who left Georgia in disgrace, um, <laughs> actually he didn't really make the SEC proud, so I probably shouldn't bring that up. But yeah, there's there's plenty of them. They, they've got them all over. I mean, it. You know, the SEC will probably brag about whatever, you know, if one of their golfers ends up winning and, you know, wearing the green jacket a weekend's end, I think, yeah, of course, why wouldn't they brag about him? Connor, is he the most hated Masters winner of all time? We were talking about the morning show this morning. There, No one cheered for him when he was getting on 18 about to win the whole thing last year. Gosh, wasn't that hilarious? I mean, when, when else do you get a, an environment like that in golf? I mean, the guy who, you know, basically shushes the crowd like it's, He's so he's so like the opposite of everything that golf has become known for. I mean, really forever. It's got it's kind of fun to watch from that perspective. It kind of needs somebody to root against every once in a while. I mean, can't just have all of these stupid stories all the time. Occasionally, there's got to be a little bit of bad blood. You know, it's not so bad when a guy calls out somebody else and you see a little bit of drama, which the, you know the tour really lacks. So yeah, I mean, I, I, without knowing a ton about every single winner, I can't think of any in my lifetime that have been more hated than Patrick Reed. Let me ask you some basketball stuff going on here. So we, we, we've had we've had the hirings of uh, Jerry Stackhouse at Vanderbilt, Eric Musselman at Arkansas, and um, uh, forgetting the Buffalo code, Nate Oates now at Alabama. Uh, we're we in Buzz Williams at Texas A and M. Still waiting on what might happen or might what might not happen at LSU. Who do you think made the best hire uh, in, in head basketball coach? Now, I like a lot of these hires, and I've really, I mean, I've written of why I think the SEC has really really elevated its its brand nationally when it comes to basketball because of the coaches that it has brought in. But to me, it's clearly Texas A&M getting somebody like Buzz Williams. You just don't go out and get top ten coaches like that. I mean, it just very rarely happens to get somebody who is in his mid-40s, is so well-respected in this coaching community, and he's going to be able to recruit in the state of Texas. I mean, that's that's where he's from. He spent a little bit of time at A&M as, as an assistant already. And we know that Scott Woodward is going to give him all the resources that he needs to be able to succeed there. So that, that to me, was just a home run hire. I mean, I, Scott Woodward has really impressed me with his ability to bring in Jimbo Fisher and then to go out and get Buzz Williams as well. When, you know, two months ago, you know, we're, he's talking about Billy Kennedy and how you know, Billy Kennedy has been great, you know, through the last three years, he's been in the Sweet 16 and, you know, don't really have anything to complain about. And then, yeah, actually, you know, it turns out he's pretty much had this in the holster the entire time. And Buzz Williams is going to be making a whole lot of money to uh, hopefully turn that program around. You know, Scott Woodward is making a big risk by doing that. But at the same time, he's a guy, Buzz Williams, that I would want to put my chips on. So A&M is kind of the one that stands apart. But you know, I, I do like Nate Oates a lot at Alabama. I think that was a really solid move, considering where he came from at Buffalo and what he inher- what, what he inherited from Bobby Hurley uh, over there. I, I've I've heard just some really really good things about Buffalo the last couple of years and, and the type of basketball that he coached. So I'd say those two kind of take the cake. Are maybe Buzz Williams is probably still in a class of its own though. So where where do you put Eric Musselman in that in that category with the hire at Arkansas? You know, a guy that. Uh, uh, built Nevada into uh, in one of the best mid-major programs over the, at least these last three years. A guy with uh, NBA experience, player development experience, a lot of energy, uh, social media presence. What do you make of his hire? Yeah, I mean, I, I like that hire too, and I think it makes a it makes a lot of sense for Arkansas. The one reservation that I have was just I just really didn't like the way that Nevada finished this year, and this was a team that was in the top 10 the entire season up until the last week of February. I mean, that, that's unbelievable to do at a mid-major, and that speaks to the job that he was able to, to do at that program, and everybody remembers the run that they went on last year. But I, I just, 
was kind of baffled why why they fizzled down the stretch when they lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament to Florida. I didn't really think it was even an upset. Just, I mean, his team just did not look like it was ready to play. You know, really had to turn it on at the end just to make that a close game. And, and to me, that's the one thing that I kind of have pause with now. Is he just needed to change the scenery? Maybe that's a different story. But obviously, a guy who is quite familiar with having a change of scenery. I mean, his resume is, is deep. It's it's wild. It's unlike anything that there is in the SEC. But um, you know, I do think it is a good move. Somebody that has a lot of energy going to inject some life into that program. And somebody that has had some recent success. And if you're Arkansas, you know, you're, you're just trying to get back to the Sweet 16 at this point. You need to get back to that second weekend and try and do what what Auburn and what Tennessee have been able to, to build in the last few years here. So I, I do like the hire, but I, I guess I just have a few more questions about it. Longest route in the SEC, Arkansas. had not been since 96. So, yes, every fan knows about that. Connor O'Gara, Saturday Down South. He's our guest here on Halftime. Connor, I know you just wrote an article for Saturday Down South, kind of chronologically and, and talking about each SEC coach. 11 of the 14 have made a Sweet 16 in their tenure at one point, and actually six of them have been to a Final Four. With all these new hires, Buzz Williams, Nate Oates, Musselman, all these other guys, is the SEC now have the best collection of college basketball coaches in the country? I'd say it's getting a lot closer. I don't think it's quite there yet, just because you only have one coach in the conference who, who has a rank. I mean, it's Cal, and that's it. And you look at the ACC, and there's Coach K, there's Roy Williams, there's there's talent galore, and you can even look at somebody like you know in Tony Bennett, who just won a national title as well. So, I mean, they have four coaches in that conference alone that have won national titles. And then if you actually look at the Big 12, nine of their ten coaches have been to the Sweet 16. I mean, if, if Chris Beard stays at Texas Tech, that, that conference, I think, has a good case to, to be made for that. If you add in you know, guys like Bill Self and Bob Huggins, I think top to bottom, though, the SEC is just in a different place than it was even two years ago. I mean, this all start, sort of started 14 months ago when Andy Kennedy is fired at Ole Miss. I remember John Calipari basically saying, why in the world was this guy fired? He's been there forever. He won this amount of games, blah, blah, blah. And it just kind of speaks to this changing narrative within the conference and how it treats basketball. The status quo is no longer being accepted. you got to be making NCAA tournaments year in, year out. And if not, they're going to try and find somebody who, who can because there's no excuse not to be making the NCAA tournament and all the revenue and the benefits that come with that. And right now, athletic directors are recognizing that. And I think that is what has forced all of these teams in the SEC to step up and say, hey, we need to go out there and make a big-time hire. Even a place like Georgia, that goes out and gets Tom Crean. Tom Crean was pretty coveted on the coaching candidate market, and Georgia went out and made him a, a nice offer after he had a really, really good year as an analyst. And, and I think a lot of people have just been impressed with all these different hires that have been made in the SEC. The only one that really kind of stands out is, is the Jerry Stackhouse one. That just seems a little bit of a, of a curveball, and I, I guess I'm in wait-and-see mode to see if that works out. So the Topic we opened up our show with today, Connor, is can you be dominant as an SEC program in both football and basketball at the same time? With Arkansas, their highest of basketball success has not come at the same time with their highest of football success. And really the only school that we pointed out to that reached the pinnacle at the same time was Florida back in 2006. Do you think in today's day and age, with all the competition, with all the different recruiting uh, challenges that you face with different coaches in these conferences. Can you be a dominant SEC program in both football and basketball at the same period of time? I think so, and I, I think that for whatever reason, it just hasn't worked out necessarily in that way, but I think that now that there's more than enough money to go around with paying coaches and having a, an annual $43 million check coming in from these TV contracts, certainly helps. I think A&M is in really good position to be that for the foreseeable future. And look at the year, look at like what Kentucky just did or what LSU just did. Kentucky has the SEC coach of the year in college football. That program has its best season in four decades. And oh, by the way, you've got John, John Calpar and you go to the Elite Eight, you know, just kind of a standard year at Kentucky. But, you know, that I, that I think is a little bit more sustainable than people realize just because I think the contract for Stoops is very favorable and I think he's going to be there for the foreseeable future. But look at a place like LSU. I mean, LSU just won a New Year's Six Bowl, and they just won the SEC regular season title. They went to a Sweet 16. That's a really good year in both sports, and I do think that is sustainable. For whatever reason, Florida has been like the only program that's been able to kind of have this maybe five, ten-year stretch of having this sustained success. And 
And obviously a lot of that is coaching. I mean, you have Urban Meyer and Billy Donovan at your school at the same time. That's going to make a difference. I think A&M is the program that is going to be stepping in that direction with Buzz Williams and Jimbo Fisher, two guys that I would expect to be there for a long time. They've paid them to be there for a long time. And I, I do think it is sustainable. But, yeah, who will be that next team is kind of the, the big question moving forward. Got a lot of spring games this weekend, aren't there? Arkansas played theirs last weekend. You know, they they kind of need to stay away from the Arkansas Derby, which is this weekend uh, at Oakland, the horse track. So uh, you got a bunch of them, I guess, this weekend. Any stories you're following for for spring football games that might stand out? Because these spring games just—I don't know if they really have any any buzz anymore. Yeah, so there there are a couple. Um, so there's well, there's eight spring games this weekend, um, two of which are on Friday, and then six more on Saturday. A and M just moved theirs up to Friday because of weather. But the thing that I'm really really interested in is this Auburn quarterback battle. I mean, it, it's fascinating. I could argue it's the most fascinating quarterback battle in the country just because of how it's going to impact Auburn in the short term and in the long term. It sort of feels like Gus Malzahn needs to get this decision right to establish his long term future at Auburn. And it feels like he's got four different options and nobody necessarily knows which one is going to be the guy. I mean, a lot of people are very excited about Bo Nix, understandably so. The five-star true freshman dual threat comes in, and obviously he's going to have all eyes on him on Saturday. But then there's somebody like Joey Gatewood came in last year as this hyped Cam Newton type, and everybody's talking about him as the quarterback of the future, but he can't really throw that well yet, so people are a little bit more down on him. Apparently he's made a lot of progress. Court Sandberg, a 24-year-old redshirt freshman, which is pretty standard. And then you have a guy like Malik Willis, who has the most experience in the system and might be the favorite to start, but might not have the upside of somebody like Nick's or even somebody like Gatewood. So to me, that that is the most interesting storyline of the SEC this spring, is watching the way that this plays out and how Gus Malzahn makes these decisions. It is quarterbacks going live in a scrimmage. I mean, because he has four of them, and he knows that he can afford to take some chances like this because he wants to gather as much data as possible. He wants to see who can bounce back up from a hit, who's not going to be scared in the open field, and just use every piece of data that he can to make this decision because he knows how important this is. So to me, the Auburn quarterback situation is fascinating. I, I can't wait to see what happens with the third-string situation in Alabama with Talia Tungavailoa and Paul Tyson. Paul Tyson, of course, the great-grandson of Bear Bryant. We're going to get to see this, this fantastic quarterback battle play out. Um, in a much different sense than last year watching Tua and Jalen go at it, but you know, different and, and intriguing in its own right. So it's always quarterback battles to me. That that's kind of what takes the cake in spring ball. And there are other great stories as well, which I'm sure we'll see pop up. But those are going to be the two big ones that I have my eye on this weekend. All right, that's good stuff, Connor. Thanks as always for coming on with us. Appreciate your opinions, your takes, and uh, looking forward to doing it again. Appreciate it. Like the Halftime Pod? Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com.